On Par, a powerful punch of political punditry in a pithy podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Parr. Thanks for tuning in and listening and sharing these podcasts with your friends all over the interwebs. Well, I got a question from a friend of mine last night. People seem to have a habit of asking me offbeat questions, and I kind of like that, especially when I know the answer. That's a good thing. Well, this one was unexpected and actually a really good question. You see, he had been talking to his son. And his son asked why the Democrat Party is called the Democrat Party. And why is the Republican Party called the Republican Party? Where did these two really powerful forces in our modern society get their identities? That's a good question, isn't it? And the answer goes a long way to explaining some of the ideas the parties express and support even today. I often say words have meaning. Well, the names of the parties are words, and there is deep meaning behind the names of the Democrats and the Republicans. And when you see why they have those names, you'll understand why they support certain issues today and oppose other issues today. I like the definitions offered by the Encyclopedia Britannica. You can find them at Britannica.com. They define a democracy as literally the rule by the people. The word comes from two Greek words, demos, which means the common people, and kratos, which means rule, rule by the people, democracy, demos, kratos. Okay. They define a republic as a form of government in which a state is ruled by representatives of the citizen body. Republic comes from two Latin words, re, which means in the matter of or pertaining to, and publicus which means of the people. So it's something pertaining to something of the people. Got it? So why did the Democrats choose that name, and why did the Republicans choose that name? Well, to figure that out, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the very first president, George Washington. Washington didn't belong to any party. He's the only president who didn't belong to a political party, and he's the only president who got the unanimous vote from the Electoral College. But during Washington's administration, the first two political parties in America were formed. The first was the Federalist Party. This was the party of Alexander Hamilton and John Adams. Adams was vice president at the time, and Hamilton was running the Treasury. Both of them favored a strong central federal government. They believed that only a strong central government would have the power and ability to unite all the different states into a powerful and successful union. But in order to do that, they had to interpret the new Constitution in a loosey-goosey kind of way. That didn't sit well with the two men who believed that words have meaning. Thomas Jefferson, whose words in the Declaration of Independence created the nation, and James Madison, whose words created the Constitution. They wanted a strict interpretation of the Constitution, and they wanted more power to go to the states and not the central government. So they created a political party to rival the Federalists. What they wanted was a government where the power wasn't with the strong central government, but was instead held by the people. They wanted a government where representatives for the people would do the people's business, never forgetting that the people were the ones actually in charge. 
okay, to be fair, they, they really only wanted the people who were male and not slaves and owned property to have that power. But hey, you know, it's still pretty progressive for the time in which they lived. So a- anyway, they named their party the Democratic Republican Party. They wanted the rule by the people expressed through their representatives. That's a democratically elected republic. But their key focus was on the word Republican. Jefferson and his allies more commonly referred to themselves as Republicans than they did as Democratic Republicans. It was the Republic part that was most important to them. Well, the Democratic Republicans were very successful. In 1800, Jefferson was elected president, ousting his former and future friend, John Adams, That same year, the Democratic Republicans took over both the House of Representatives and the Senate. They had control over the executive and legislative branches of government, and they kept that power through both of Jefferson's terms, both of James Madison's terms, and both of James Monroe's two terms. If you're keeping score at home, that's 24 years of uninterrupted control of the federal government by the party that opposed the Federalist Party. They were so successful that the Federalist Party fell apart. For 24 years, everyone was a Democratic-Republican, essentially. But then came the election of 1824. After the giants of Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, the party had a problem. There wasn't a clear frontrunner. Four different Democratic-Republicans were actually running for the presidency. There was John Quincy Adams, the son of the only Federalist president, John Adams. There was Andrew Jackson, the hero of New Orleans during the War of 1812. There was William Crawford, the Secretary of the Treasury, and Henry Clay, the Speaker of the House. During the election, Jackson got the most popular votes, pulling in 151,271 votes to Adams' 113,122. But none of the four men won a majority of the Electoral College votes. Jackson had 11, Adams had 7, Crawford and Clay both had 3. This had never happened before. So the decision fell to the House of Representatives. They would decide who would become president for the first time. The people wouldn't decide, but their representatives would. This created a conflict for Henry Clay. He was in the House of Representatives, and he was actually the Speaker of the House, but he was tied in third place in the Electoral College and didn't really have a shot at winning the vote in the House. So he threw his support behind Adams. Adams, who came in second place in the popular vote and in the Electoral College, ended up coming in first in the House of Representatives and thus became our sixth president. Andrew Jackson was pissed. He felt he'd been cheated. He won the popular vote. He had the most electoral college votes. He won 11 states. Adam had only won seven. And yet it was Adams who had become president. Now think back to the party's name that existed at the time, the Democratic Republicans. Democracy ruled by the people. Republic, a government that is run by the representatives of the people. Jackson had the support of the people, but he lost because he didn't have the support of the representatives of the people. You see the split here. Democracy versus republic. Jackson thought he should have been president because of democracy. 
Adams became president because of the republic. So Jackson left the Democratic-Republican Party and went off and formed his own party, the Democratic Party. He named it the Democratic Party because had this been a democracy ruled by the people, he would have been president. He then spent the next four years running for president. Jackson's leaving of the Democratic-Republican split the party. It fractured into several groups. Many went and joined his Democratic Party. Some formed a party called the Anti-Masonic Party, uh, they really didn't like Freemasons, and beyond that single issue, couldn't really agree on much else. So they fell apart, and that's part of why you've never heard of them. Still, others tried to claim the core of the old Democratic-Republican Party and called themselves the National Republican Party. This was the party Banner Adams ran for re-election on. Well, it didn't work. He lost. He lost bad. Jackson's Democrats not only handed him 56% of the popular vote, they also gave him 178 electoral college votes, more than twice what Adams was able to gain. The Democratic Party was victorious. The Democratic-Republican Party was dead, and the National Republican Party soon would be. They would join with the anti-Masons to form a new party called the Whig Party, Whig Party, W-H-I-G. Jackson won re-election, and his vice president, fellow Democrat Martin Van Buren, also won his election in 1836, but he was defeated by William Henry Harrison in 1840, the first Whig to become president. That was good for the new Whig party, except that Harrison, after making a two-hour speech in the rain on the day he was inaugurated, caught pneumonia and died a month later. So he was succeeded by John Tyler, who nobody liked and was, frankly, one of the worst presidents in American history. And if you ask me, I think he was the worst president in American history. Later, they were able to get Zachary Taylor elected, but he got cholera and died in office. And, and they once again lost the election after that. So that was pretty much the end of the Whig Party. It splintered into the know-nothings. Yes, that was the name of a political party here in America in the 1850s, the know-nothings. So, yeah, they didn't get elected either. Why would, who are you going to vote for? Yeah, those guys who don't know anything. Oi. Uh, so there was room for an opposition party to the Democrats. Now, the, the Democrats were in favor of slavery generally, especially in the South, the Southern Democrats. And there was strong opposition to slavery, especially in the North among other groups. But there wasn't a party that had organized that opposition in a way that could win national elections. In 1854... Some of those people who opposed slavery came together to start a new party. They were made up of former Whigs and Free Soilers. That was another party that didn't really do anything. They wanted to have a name that hearkened back to the nation's founding. They, they wanted to challenge the Democrats, and so they chose the name that made the most sense, the Republicans. They were trying to reach back and connect to the most successful political party in American history, Thomas Jefferson's democratic republican party but they were also trying to promote ideas that would protect individual liberty let me explain it this way in the 1990s there was a phrase that started cropping up it went something like this democracy is two wolves and a lamb trying to decide what's for lunch in a democracy majority rules and the lamb loses well that's what was going on in the south in the 1800s majority whites voted to allow slaveries blacks the minority weren't even given a vote, but if they had been, they still would have been outvoted. Republicans wanted to change that. They wanted to protect individual liberty from majority rule. They still wanted a government that was responsive to the people, just one that wasn't controlled by the mob. 
They wanted a government that believed in the freedoms and rights spelled out in the Declaration of Independence because, after all, words have meaning. But Democrats were using majority rule to take away those rights from the minority. This was the birth of the Republican Party and led to the election of Abraham Lincoln and eventually the end of slavery. The representatives of the people passed new constitutional amendments that protected the rights of the individual from the potential tyranny of majority rule, of democracy. Yes, we are a democratic republic, but we are also a constitutional republic. That means the law, or the written word, supersedes the majority. The majority can vote to change the law, but until it does, the law rules. Words rule. Words have meaning. So where does that leave us today? Actually, pretty much in the same place we were in in the 1800s, Democrats still favor majority rule. Republicans still favor a representative form of government as laid out in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. For example, Democrats want to get rid of the Electoral College. They think Hillary Clinton should be president today because she got more votes than Donald Trump, just like Andrew Jackson argued in 1824. But Republicans say that's not what the law says. The law says you have to win in the Electoral College. The representatives choose the president. And that law exists to protect the rights of the minority against the tyranny of the majority. Think about it. The four counties around New York City had more than enough votes to give Hillary Clinton her majority over Donald Trump. Those four counties alone favored Clinton by more votes than the difference in the rest of the nation combined. The majority of the single largest city in America could have outweighed the majority of dozens of states. Democrats want that. Furthermore, they are passing laws in states all across America today designed to circumvent the Electoral College in the future. They don't like the law as written, so they are hoping to have a loose interpretation of those words to give the majority vote more power than the representatives of the people. Democrats chant, this is what democracy looks like when they occupy Wall Street or ban a conservative speaker from talking on campus at Berkeley. It's what they chant when they try and drown out voices they don't like through mass intimidation. It's what they chant when they drive politicians they don't like out of restaurants and public places with angry mobs. And they're right. That's exactly what democracy looks like. That's why I'm a Republican because I've seen what democracy looks like, and it's not pretty. Back when the Constitution was first written at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, a woman approached Benjamin Franklin on the street as he was exiting that famous building. She said to him, well, Dr. Franklin, what do we have? Monarchy or a republic? He replied to her, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Words have meaning. The next time you go vote, keep in mind the meaning of the name behind the party that supports the candidate on the ballot.
Democracy is good when it's kept in check by a constitutional republic. Democracy is good when representatives of the people work for the people while securing the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness of all the people, not just certain popular demographic groups or those who live in the trendiest zip codes, not just those who vote with the majority, all of the people. There are Democrats today who are trying to undo the foundations of our republic. The name of the party tells you why they are trying to do that. But as Franklin said, we have a republic if we can keep it. Well, thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe either on the SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. If you'd like to leave a comment, you can always do so at my website, americaonpar.com. I'm Stephen Parr, and I can still see old glory flying over me. In the first light of